0: from KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. As California prepares to officially reopen tomorrow, the state board that oversees workplace safety has come up with new guidelines. The proposed rules from Cal OSHA's standards board would allow fully vaccinated workers to remove their face coverings while on the job, but unvaccinated workers would still have to wear masks. Catherine Fisk is a professor of law at UC Berkeley. She tells the California report, these rules make sense when it comes to keeping people safe.
1: Vaccination prevents the spread of disease. Therefore, employers can require employees to be vaccinated in order to protect the safety of other employees and in order to protect the safety of others who come into the workplace employers
0: would also be required to verify workers' vaccination status, a possible point of contention between workers and their bosses. The U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has said that if employers do obtain vaccination information from their workers, that information must be kept confidential. Michael Leroy is a professor at the School of Labor and Employment Relations at the University of Illinois. He says that different rules for vaccinated and unvaccinated employees could raise privacy concerns that breaches the confidentiality now I I also have to say that California has autonomy with respect to workplace safety because in general their standards are higher and so having a higher standard for safety also means a lower standard for employee privacy Under the new workplace proposal, employers would also be required to provide face coverings to workers who are unvaccinated, although they don't have to be N95 masks. A vote will take place on Thursday, and if passed, the new workplace rules would be implemented by June 28th. However, the Newsom administration has signaled that the governor would like to put them in place sooner state officials are set to unveil an electronic system that will allow businesses to check the vaccination status of customers. During a news conference last week in San Diego, Governor Gavin Newsom stressed that this would be voluntary and an option for businesses in dealing with people who aren't wearing masks. Here's Health and Human Services Secretary Mark Alley speaking to the Public Policy Institute of California. You know, we worry about discrimination, inequities, Uh, limiting access to folks. We also want to make sure that we remind people that sharing your vaccine status, if that's your desire, is is somebody's personal prerogative and they should be protected. Now, neither Newsom or Galley would go into further details about the verification system. Under federal masking guidelines, people who are unvaccinated must continue to wear face coverings. And businesses have three options in dealing with unmasked customers. Trust them when they say they're vaccinated, implement some form of vaccine verification, or require everyone to wear a mask. You probably don't know the name Jeffrey Keitlinger, but when it comes to water, he's a powerful figure. Keitlinger is the CEO and general manager of the Metropolitan Water District, or MWD. Here in Southern California, it supplies water to nearly half of the state's population, 19 million people. After 15 years on the job, Keitlinger is about to retire. So the California report thought it would be a good time to sit down with him to discuss the state's many water challenges, like the current drought, and the long-range threat of climate change. Keitlinger had a lot to say about what he thinks the state is doing right and wrong when it comes to making sure there's enough water for all of
3: us in the future. We've become a state of sort of haves and have-nots. California isn't a drought. It's in probably one of the three or four most dry years ever in recorded history. So a really significant, severe drought. And yet, we have been investing and in preparing for drought since the mid-1990s here in Southern California. And we're well prepared. We have lots of water. We have stored water. We've prepared for it. We've reduced our use. We've recycled water. So we've invested heavily in this. But you're going to see the Central Valley. You're going to see hundreds of thousands of acres fallowed, lots of huge impacts to parts of the state uh, that we're going to largely avoid, mainly through our preparation and investment over the last 25 years. You know we use about 35 percent less water today than we used in 1990 and yet we added five million people over that same period so we've learned how to conserve year-round
0: so what more is there to be done not only when it comes to this drought year but inevitably more drought years to come
3: one of the areas we can still make progress on is our outdoor water usage We need to start slowly but surely replacing all our front lawns and going to drought tolerant landscaping, and there's still progress we can make there. Statewide, there's a lot of things we can do, but one of the biggest things we probably need to do is invest more in our water infrastructure. We need to store more water, and we need to be able to move it faster because it's no longer going to be snow, it's going to be rain due to climate change.
0: Well, speaking of climate change, do we, in a sense, have a water infrastructure kind of built for a different world that no longer exists now or won't exist in the future?
3: That's exactly right. We built a lot of our infrastructure based on what we knew at the time. And a lot of that was we were in a wetter period where the world has gotten drier. Some of that's cyclical, but a lot of that's due to climate change. But also, we relied on a snowpack. Uh, We built our water system expecting a big, heavy, Sierra snowpack that would melt slowly, go into reservoirs, and be able to be moved and shuttled all around the state. Now instead of snow, we're getting rain as things get warmer. So the good news is we have precipitation to work with, but we have to capture it and move it in a matter of days when we used to have months, and our infrastructure simply isn't built for that. So what do we do? Well, we're gonna have to start building different kinds of infrastructure. We're gonna have to learn how to capture rainfall. We're gonna have to build large tunnels because California is gonna be very volatile. We're gonna have five, six years of drought, and then we're gonna have a mega wet year. And unless you can capture that water, it's all gonna be gone. We can capture that in Southern California. That's what we've done to prepare for drought. We're now gonna have to replicate that kind of investment statewide.
0: You also seem to be increasingly excited about water recycling and its potential
3: absolutely we just don't have enough water to just use it once and ship it to the ocean we're gonna have to recycle and reuse it uh, we do have the ability to do o- ocean desalination but it's also it's very energy intensive and we're trying to be a very um, have a small energy footprint here in california it's really become a, a very strong focus of our state and so until the technology gets a little better on ocean desal and it gets less energy intensive I think recycling is where we're going to have to uh, push hard and and diversify that way, and then eventually probably move more into ocean desal as well. Let's talk about one flashpoint in particular, the Delta. Um, you support the tunnel. It's uh, incredibly
0: controversial in terms of getting that water from the Delta down here and building the infrastructure to do that, environmental concerns and so on. Um, why stick so stubbornly to that particular project in the face of so much opposition
3: over so many years it is frustrating uh, that it's taken so long it is something that's basically necessary and california has known this is necessary forever right now two out of every three californians get their water through the delta silicon valley the coastal central coast and of course southern california three million acres of farmland get their water through the delta eventually that's going to collapse And we're going to have a Katrina-type emergency in California, and we need to do something to prepare for it. And if we're going to just sort of stick our head in the sand and wait till the emergency, then we're just going to have to do like we did in New Orleans, deal with it after the fact. It's better to plan and prepare for the inevitable disaster that's going to come. But unfortunately, because of the politics, we haven't been able to do that cohesively as a state.
0: You're basically saying the the project is essential.
3: Yes, it absolutely is essential. Interestingly, it was recognized as essential back in the 1930s. But because of the politics associated with it, about every 20 years, we make another run at it. Usually it gets beaten back. And then uh, the next governor says, I'm not going to touch that. I I think one of the more promising facts is that the last three governors have all said it's essential. Uh, Schwarzenegger, Jerry Brown, and um, Governor Gavin Newsom. They've all said it's essential. They've differed on exactly the right approach, but they've all said it's essential.
0: Let's turn to another issue and that's the Colorado River. And I know I won't get too much in the weeds because we could be here for weeks talking about the Colorado River, but it is incredibly important to seven states plus Mexico The river runs through a part of the of of the country that's growing tremendously it has been for years vegas phoenix and so on is it still there in any recognizable form by the middle of the century by the last part of the 21st century is there some point even with the advances you've made in terms of you know uh, collecting water and lake mead and so on but can that river sustain the level of populations that rely on it including L.A. in Southern California,
3: not without change. Uh, so there, there you you've touched on something that's really important. We have Colorado River is shared by an enormous amount of people. Thirty some million people get their water from the Colorado River, and millions of acres of farmland, and it's a huge part to the whole Southwest economy. And it's under stress. It's uh, climate change is really impacting the Rocky Mountains, and we're seeing the water supply shrink, and we've overallocated it. Now, that sounds scary. It is, and it is scary. It's something we can manage through with foresight and planning. We have been able to do that. We've actually, last year was the least amount of water withdrawn from the Colorado River uh, since the 1940s. And we have been working on that steadily and surely, all the urban areas, but we're gonna have to continue. We're actually gonna have to double down and do it much faster. So the next five years, we have to redo the uh, operating guidelines on the river. All seven states have to reach agreement. We also have to reach agreement with Mexico. It's gonna be a very intense negotiation, but it has to happen.
0: And an agreement in very bare bones language means what exactly? Everybody uses less of the river or or what?
3: Yeah, in a nutshell, we are all gonna have to agree how we're gonna make cutbacks. And so we have to use less, we know that, and we're gonna to have to do that in a structured long-term planning way so we don't have huge dislocations to you know the various economies that all rely on the river. And so we're gonna to have to plan for it and build into using less as opposed to just sort of fall off a cliff approach.
0: And finally, you're about to retire. What worries you as you leave this position?
3: What worries me is that as a state, we have gotten out of the infrastructure business and we've sort of said it's up to locals to you know, take care of themselves. And some things are just too big and too important that only really government can handle. And water, transportation are things that you know, we really have to handle at the statewide and national level. Uh, we're not reinvesting in our infrastructure. We're relying on 60 and 90 year old infrastructure that's aging and crumbling and we're not reinvesting in it. And we stopped doing that uh, basically in the 1970s. And it has all sorts of impacts, um, but basically it's going to make uh, so that life here is not going to be very functional. As we are sitting here at 40-some million people, uh, if we're not going to reinvest in our infrastructure, it's going to be very difficult to have that kind of population. All right, Jeffrey.
0: Keitlinger, CEO and General Manager of the Metropolitan Water District. Thank you so much. Thank you on friday more than two million travelers were screened by the tsa at u.s airports it's the first time that's happened in a single day since march of last year the california reports keith mizuguchi spoke with travel industry analyst henry hartevelt with atmosphere research in san francisco about the importance of that two million
1: number and what it means for the upcoming summer travel season that is a very significant number because it is coming without any meaningful number of business travelers and without much international travel being possible due to border closings or travel restrictions. On Friday, we were at roughly 74% uh, in terms of the number of people who went through TSA screenings at U.S. airports compared to the same day in 2019.
2: I know international travel has been kind of a bugaboo right now with people in the industry. Are there any signs that some of the restrictions will be lifted for summer travel, or is it still up in the air right now?
1: It's still very uncertain. Right now, France, Greece, Spain are among the countries in Europe that are open to US travelers. Others are planning to reopen, and the EU has said that it will reopen by the end of June. Uh, to U.S. travelers. Now, some countries may limit that to vaccinated travelers. Some may say it's everybody. Uh, There was some hope that out of the G7 meeting, the U.S. and U.K. would announce a start date for a so-called air corridor to resume air travel between the two countries in both directions. That didn't happen. All we got was a vaguely worded promise to study it, and that really counts for nothing. But there's a lot of interest in traveling to Europe right now. And in fact, JetBlue is hoping to launch its first flights from the U.S. to London on August 11th. So a lot literally is riding on this summer. Uh, The fortunes of airlines, the fortunes of hotels, the fortunes of tourism-dependent businesses in Europe are riding on this. And frankly... There are a lot of tourism-dependent businesses in the U.S. who are doing well with domestic travel, but would really like to see those international travelers coming to our shores again because international visitors stay longer and spend more than domestic travelers.
2: And I imagine, particularly in California, where you see areas like Napa Valley, you see areas like San Francisco and Los Angeles, which are so reliant economically on that traveler and that tourist dollar, that even though domestic travel is expected to be up, they really do need people who are staying for weeks at a time and spending money in restaurants, spending money at hotels and at local small businesses.
1: You are correct. Uh, So Visit California, the State Tourism Authority, has been running advertising, uh, online advertising, uh, television advertising and more encouraging Californians to spend at least some of their vacation time and money within the state to help get the state back to work and help the economy get going again. That's an unusual move. But California very much wants the international traveler back here. And frankly, so do a lot of other states who, who rely on international visitors. Texas wants more Mexican and Latin American visitors. Florida has been getting travelers from Latin America. If they're able to get into the U.S., but not all countries are allowed into the U.S. right now. And of course, we don't have Canada. Uh, and Canada is a huge source market for inbound travel to California as well as other parts of the United States. So as good as we are as a state, as big as we are as a state, we need other domestic travelers. And we need all the international travelers we can possibly get to help reinvigorate the state's travel and tourism industry. That
0: was The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi speaking with travel industry expert Henry Hartevelt of Atmosphere Research. Later this morning, Governor Newsom is scheduled to hold a news conference highlighting travel and tourism in the state, including offering dream vacations as part of the latest prizes in the state's vaccine incentive program. And that's the California Report for Monday, June 14th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day.
2: Support for the California Report comes from Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of health care with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at WaterHeatersOnly.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at TheSchmidt.org.